as you look back over this past year, are you convinced that God is always good? And as you look forward to a new year, are you sure that God is, will be always good? Our theology helps us to process the circumstances of our life. And it's important that we have the conviction that God is good, always good. Thank you, Pastor Dan. This morning, we are resuming our study in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We've come to Isaiah 62. Lord willing, we will complete this series in a few short weeks and begin something new, so you can stay tuned. But for this morning, I would point you to Isaiah 62 where we will read of the the bright future that God has promised for Israel. I'd like to introduce my message this morning by referencing Samuel Clemens. Now, you may know Samuel Clemens by his pseudonym of Mark Twain, of course, the author of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Samuel Clemens, or Mark Twain, wrote some 30 books during his lifetime with many short stories as well. He wrote one book titled, The Innocents Abroad. It was a record of his five-month journey to the Holy Land in 1867. And while it's doubtful that Mark Twain was a Christian, he had a fascination with the Jewish people. And, And he wrote this about them. I've got it for you there on the screen. It's also printed on the back of your notes. This is what Samuel Clemens, or Mark Twain, said. He said, if the statistics are right, the Jews constitute but one quarter of one percent of the human race. It suggests a nebulous puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people, and his importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and abstruse learning, the word abstruse is abstruse, it means difficult to understand, but are also very out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world in all ages. He has done it with his hands tied behind him. He could be vain of himself and be excused for it. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, and the Persians rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greeks and Romans followed and made a vast noise, And they were gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now and have vanished. That is what I fear for the the United States of America. He continues, the Jews saw them all, survived them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert but aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jews. All other forces pass, but he remains. This is Samuel Clemens. Mark Twain says, what is the secret of his immortality? And folks, the question posed by Mark Twain in that last line is addressed 
by our scripture text this morning, Isaiah 62. I've written at the top of your notes, on the front side of of your notes there, what has been the secret to the Jews' survival? The promises of God. I want you to underscore that. The promises of God. Beyond that, what is the secret to the Jews' future success, their future? The answer is the promises of God, and you can underscore that as well. From Isaiah 62, I've prepared a message with a title that I've stolen from from one of two legendary missionaries, either William Carey or Adoniram Judson. It's been attributed to both. But the future is as bright as the promises of God. And Isaiah 62 tells us of Israel's bright future as God has promised and as God will fulfill. Let me pause for prayer and then we'll study the scripture text. God in heaven, we humbly bow our heads and our hearts before you in worship and in praise, acknowledging that you are always good. You have been good to us You will be good to us, and even in the calamity and the crisis and the pain and the suffering of life in this fallen world, we know that you are good because you have made promises and you are committed to fulfilling them. You have made covenant promises to your people Israel, and you will fulfill them. And God, you have made promises to us, your church, and you will fulfill them as well. And God, as we face a new year and we look forward to the future, We are confident that the future is bright because of your promises. We thank you for this. I pray that as we read and study this scripture text this morning that you will strengthen our faith and our hope in you. For I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You have your Bibles open with me to Isaiah 62, verse number one. For Zion's sake, that's for Jerusalem's sake, for Israel's sake, I will not hold my peace. This is God speaking. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. God the Father is promising that he will not keep silent, he will not stop until, you see the word there in verse number one. The the word until points forward to something that is to come. For example, you cannot go to lunch today until I am finished preaching, all right? I will preach until 11.30. There is something that's going to happen to Israel in the future and God is not going to stop speaking. He's not going to stop working toward that end until... Then, until that bright future is realized, number one in your notes, God will preserve Israel. God will preserve Israel. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. God has a purpose and a plan for Israel's future, and it is bright, according to verse number one. The future glory of Israel will occur during the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ returns to rule and reign on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem for 1,000 years. You can read about it in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7. The Bible tells us that Jesus will return in the same manner that he departed from his disciples and ascended up into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus will return, plant his feet on the Mount of Olives, defeat Israel's enemies, Zechariah chapter 12 and 14, and restore Israel to himself. You can read about it in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Until then... 
Until that time, it is impossible to destroy God's people Israel for God has promised to preserve them for that very bright future. Now we can read of Israel's history from ancient Egypt through the conquest of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and Rome and the European Crusaders and the Spanish Inquisition all the way up to to the German Holocaust. We're familiar, most familiar with that. Israel's enduring existence is inexplicable. In fact, it was the famous British historian Arnold Toynbee who traced the rise and the fall of 26 civilizations over the course of human history, but he was unable to explain the phenomenon of the Jews. For against all odds, they remain and they continue. But I would submit that Arnold Toynbee could not explain the survival of the Jewish people because Arnold Toynbee did not understand the promises of God. And for that matter, there's so much in the history of mankind that we cannot explain apart from the promises of God, like the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated this this very Christmas season. One example of God promising to preserve his people is what he told Israel through the prophet Jeremiah regarding their Babylonian captivity. And you know this passage in Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. The New Testament equivalent of this for the church perhaps is Philippians 1 verse number 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will perform it and complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. And folks, this morning there is so much comfort that we can take. There is so much courage that we can claim from the promises of God We stand on the threshold of a new year with anticipation and expectation that it will be better than last year and that it will be better than the the year before. 2020 and 2021 were were difficult years in, in many, many ways. But our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in medical science or technology. Our hope is not in economic recovery. Our hope is in the manifold promises of God And God has promised to complete the work that he has begun and fulfill those promises. Let's continue reading in verse number two. Isaiah 62, verse number two. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, Israel, and all kings shall see your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Number two, God will promote Israel. God will preserve Israel until he fulfills his promises to them. And God will promote Israel. For for it's one thing to survive. It's another thing to thrive. It's one thing to exist. It's another thing to be exalted. So beyond God's preserving Israel through all of the perils of human history, he is going to bless Israel before all of the nations of the world, the Gentiles in verse number two. And all of the kings of the world will see Israel's glory as God holds them in his hand like one holds a a crown of precious stones. I remember when I was in high school, my family took a missions trip 
to England, where we had the chance to go to the Tower of London and see the crown jewels of the United Kingdom. Perhaps some of you have have been there and have seen those crown jewels. For hundreds of years, the crowns and the robes and the ceremonial regalia of the British kings and queens have have been preserved and, and kept secure in that place. At least one of those pieces has been used at every coronation since Charles II's in 1661. The regalia contains 23,578 stones. Among them, the largest clear-cut diamond in the world. It's set in the sovereign scepter with cross. It's called 530.2 carats, worth $525 million. Altogether, the crown jewels of the United Kingdom are said to be estimated to be, to be worth $4 billion. But, you see, those valuable crown jewels aren't only preserved, they are promoted. And sure, they're under lock and key and electronic surveillance with all sorts of levels of security. However, they are also seen by two and a half million visitors every year as the most precious of heirlooms of the British Empire. And they are proudly put on display for the world to see. According to Isaiah 62, verse number three, someday God is going to put Israel on display for the world to see. And at that time, anti-Semitism will cease. And the tone will change for God will give them a new name, verse number two. And we don't know exactly what that name will be. However, there are several names that are given in verse four and in verse 12 that may apply. Look at verse four. You shall no longer be termed or called forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. Number three, God will rename Israel. He will rename Israel. Now notice in verse number four, the naming of Israel includes a renaming of the people and the land. And this is important to note because you cannot separate the people from the land. The the covenant that God made with Abraham, we know it as the Abrahamic covenant, included the promise of a great people and a specific place that is a great nation and a promised land. And I'll put the scripture for you there on the screen. In Genesis 12, God said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. The promise of the land is very important. I will bless you, uh, I'm sorry, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So some people try to to minimize or dismiss the importance of the land. What difference does it make where the Jews live? The Jews can live here or there or anyway. Create a space for them, and anywhere, it's, it's all the same. 
But no, it's not all the same, for God had designated specifically the boundaries of a land. Others try to spiritualize it and say that instead of Israel inheriting the land, it's the church inheriting the promises of God. No, it's not. This is specifically, in covenant terms, a promise made to Israel, the people and the land. And using a bit of parallelism in verse number four, look at verse number four, we are told that the people and the land will be renamed. The people will be renamed from forsaken, verse 4a, to Hesubah in 4c. The land will be renamed from desolate, 4b, to Beulah in 4d. If you have the New American Standard or the ESV, it's the people will be renamed from forsaken to my delight is in her. And the land from desolate to married. The word Hesphabah means God delights in her. And the word Beulah means married one. At times we have sung of Beulah land. Have you ever sung of Beulah? You have, what is Beulah land? Whoever heard of that? I, I think I probably spent the first few decades of my life singing about Beulah land, not having any idea what I was singing about. It, it's, it's from this text here. And, and, and this is what it's telling us in verse number five. This Beulah land, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So, so here's what's happening. I don't want to confuse this with the New Testament church being the bride of Christ. But Israel is wed to God. And the Old Testament uses the language of marital fidelity and adultery in describing Israel's relationship with God. In the future, God will delight in Israel and rejoice over Israel as a bridegroom does his bride and calls her by his name. There will be a renewal of that marriage relationship, if you will, between God and his people Israel. And that's some of the the renaming that's happening there in those verses. Now, you say, Pastor, this is all good and well, but what does this have to do with us? Is there any relevance in Isaiah 62 to us as Gentile believers living in Western civilization in the modern age? I submit that we can participate in the glorious future for Israel in a couple ways. And, and I'll frame it in this way and then I'll qualify it from the text. Number, th- number four, God will include us. God will include us. Now, what do I mean by that? When I say that God will include us I am borrowing from a theme in the Abrahamic covenant that we just read, the promise that God made with Israel in him, in Abraham and in Israel, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So as Gentiles, we benefit from God's promises to Israel, most specifically through the promised seed, through the promised son, that is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And there's so much that could be said about that, perhaps a study of Romans 9 or Galatians 3 or other texts. I'm, I'm not suggesting that the church has replaced Israel in God's master plan, but rather that the church benefits from God's promises to Israel. And for our purposes this morning, I, I think that there's a role that we can play along the way, uh, a sense in which God includes us in these things. Look at verses six and seven. God says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. 
They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Okay. Now, who are watchmen and what do watchmen do? Verses six and seven. Watchmen are those that are stationed on the city walls in strategic places, often in special towers there, uh, strategically placed around a city to watch for the approaching enemy and warn the city of a pending attack from an enemy. We understand what a watchman is and what a watchman does. However, if you read verses six and seven, you discover that in this case, the watchmen are not warning the people. They are reminding the Lord. The watchmen are not warning Israel about pending threat, but they are prayer warriors to hold God to his promises. And let me read it for us again. Think through this with me. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the the Lord do not keep silent and give him, that's God, no rest till or until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Folks, do do you know what the New Testament equivalent of this is? It's it's what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come. And what is happening here is that just as God will not rest until Israel is restored to future glory, that's verse number one, God is asking for watchmen to give no rest until he establishes Israel to future glory in verse number seven. So what God has committed to in verse number one, he is calling on us as watchmen to pray for in verse number seven. This is what I'm gonna say, letter A, is is a call to intercession. Intercession before God. Watchmen are to cry out to God on behalf of Jerusalem, like Psalm 122, verse six, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How often have you ever prayed for the peace of Jerusalem? I can remember doing that with a tour group in, in Jerusalem on a couple of occasions, but, but that is not part of my regular prayer life. I don't often think of or pray for peace in Jerusalem. I don't often cry out to God as a watchman, imploring him to keep his covenant promises with Israel and prosper her. Rather, I pray for my own city of Plymouth, Minnesota, I pray for peace in the city of Minneapolis. I pray for the prosperity of the United States of America because that's more relevant to me. Or is it? And while we certainly ought to pray for kings and those in authority that we may live a peaceable life, 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, Jesus taught his disciples to pray for his kingdom to come, not for America to remain the superpower of the world. And then also... God called us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I cited Psalm 122, verse six, and here, God is calling on us to pray as a watchman to remind God to fulfill his promises to Israel, verses six and seven. Verses eight and nine give us some assurance and encourage us in this. The arm of the, 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 I'm sorry, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength 
This, this, this is what he's promised. Here it is. Surely I will no longer give your grain as food to your enemies. And the sons of the foreigners shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored. No more pillaging like the enemy nations did during the, the days of the judges or the Assyrians and the Babylonians did during the days of captivity. Verse nine, but those who have gathered, gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. No longer will Israel be taken advantage of or fall to her enemies, but will participate in the right worship of Yahweh in the holy place of God. Can we say the temple mounts in his courts? How else can we be a part of all of this beyond intercession before God? Verse number 10 Verse 10, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up the banners for the people. Each of the imperatives in in verse 10 are written as if the Lord is on his way back. Ready or not, here I come, is what it's saying. Verse 11, indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion or Jerusalem, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. The proclamation is that the Messiah is coming. And so I would offer you this letter B, proclamation of the Messiah. How how does God include us in all of these things? We are to intercede before God on behalf of Israel. We are to proclaim of the coming of the Messiah. We have to let the the Jewish people know that Jesus is king and he is coming. When he comes again, he will give Israel a new name. Verse number 12, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out rather than forsaken. They were called forsaken, now sought out, a city not forsaken. Folks, here's a takeaway for us this morning. Jesus is the hope, not only of the Jews, but but also for the whole world, including us Gentiles. And so we need to proclaim Jesus to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Jesus is the Messiah. And the future of the Jews and the future of the Gentiles is bright. It's as bright as the promises of God. There's a hymn that we sing at Christmas time. It's, it's titled, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And it speaks of Jesus' birth, of course, but it also points us beyond Jesus' first coming to his second coming, to his kingdom. And in a moment, we will sing that together as we dismiss. But the future is as bright as the promises of God. And, and folks, as we face a new year, the uncertainties of a new year, we can be filled with fear or we can walk by faith in the promises of God. There is reason for hope, for optimism, for surety because God has a promised future for Israel and for us. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for being a God who is faithful who keeps his covenant to every generation. Lord, we don't know what a day will bring forth. We don't know what is in store for this year should you tarry, but we know that you're good and we know that you are faithful. We know that you keep your promises. Lord, we're comforted by that. We take courage by that. 
And Lord, now as we look forward, we pray thy kingdom come. We pray that you will fulfill all of your promises to Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Lord, we pray come, come again, Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray this, amen.